I don't know if you can hear the rain or not, but I can. I think it's picked up since uh, since we started. Do you, incidentally, related to that, do you know what kind of coffee they served on the Titanic? Sanka. Do you know what kind of lights Noah had on the ark? Floodlights. <laughs> I, I always like three of these. <laughs> Did you know that vegetarian is a very, very old Indian word for bad hunter? Today I want to talk with you about greatness. You know, we see greatness around us uh, in the world. We watch it on TV. Today I want us to think about it uh, from God's Word. If you have your Bible, look with me at Romans 1, beginning in verse 13. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor, both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Well, I want to mention Sinclair Lewis to you this morning. He was one of the great writers in American history. He was the first American to win the Nobel uh, Prize in Literature, uh, which he won in 1930. Uh, He was a very cynical man. His novel focused on the crass values of our country, of the spiritual emptiness of our country, of the emotional shallowness of our country that he thought he saw all around him. When he received the Nobel Prize, an Italian journalist said, Mr. Lewis, you have articulated some of the weaknesses of American culture. You wrote Babbitt that revealed the weaknesses in American business life. You wrote Aerosmith, which told the story of a doctor showing inconsistencies in the medical profession. You wrote Elmer Gantry, which showed the exploitation of religion by charlatans. Then the journalist said, you have focused on all of these problems. Do you have any answers for any of these problems? And Mr. Lewis replied, sir, I not only don't have the answers to these problems, I don't even care about those answers. The Italian newspaper man wrote, 
Sinclair Lewis is a great writer, but he is not a great man. A great man cares. A great man has compassion. A great man cares about the great issues of life and seeks answers to those problems. True greatness is not getting a special job or amassing a great amount of money. Hitler was the head man for a whole country and a whole section of the earth at that time. And, of course, he had millions and millions of dollars backing him and what he was doing. But he was an evil man, not a great man. He was a man to be despised. Everyone would agree this morning, I'm sure, that Thomas A. Edison was a great man. He invented the electric light. He invented the phonograph. He had over a thousand inventions. Most everyone would say Thomas A. Edison was and is a great man. But I'm convinced far greater people are unknown and obscure. Probably Edison's mother was as great as he was. Have you ever read a book about her? You probably haven't. Did you know that uh, after he went to school, he was there for three months, and the teacher on that day sent him home with a note? Uh, His mother got the note, and the note said, Your boy is dumb. We cannot teach him anything. Therefore, he is expelled from our school. His mother wrote a very nice letter back to the teacher saying, You do not understand my son. I will teach him myself. And she signed her name. And she did teach him. In later years, Thomas Edison gave tribute to his mother by saying, With the patience and care that she had, she taught me everything that I knew and motivated me to set high goals for myself. Now, I ask you, who was the greatest, Thomas A. Edison or his mother, an almost nameless woman who was, as a mother, out to make something of her son because she saw in him Something wonderful. Greatness is not always identified by the headlines or by the history books. I believe greatness is most often found in what the world calls ordinary people in ordinary places. Dr. Tom mentioned uh, uh, Meals on Wheels. I think those of you that help with that, are doing a great ministry. Uh, Their theme is we deliver smiles. I like that. When you go to take the food, you don't have to pay for it. They give it to you. You just go out and give it to some folks that uh, perhaps are hungry. Uh, Their motto is no senior goes unfed. Now what about that is not great. I hope, uh, as Tom said, that many of you would sign up. We want to do a great job all the month of June 
with folks right here in our neighborhood. Some of you work uh, with a homebound. You uh, have picked out a certain person. You love them. You go to see them regularly, talk to them on the phone, pray for them, lift them up. I think that's great, everyone that does that. Some of you are on the emergency squad, and you do a great job and have saved many lives. What a wonderful thing. Some of you work in our ministry at Plaza West, and for month after month and year after year, we've tried to give a witness for Christ in that place. Those of you that do that have done a wonderful, great job. I believe greatness has something to do with fulfilling God's purpose for your life. Uh, Some people just pretend uh, to be religious. The boss asked the clerk, do you believe in life after death? And the clerk said, yes, sir, I do. I am a very religious person. That's good, the boss said. Because after you left early yesterday to go to your grandmother's funeral, she stopped in to see you. (laughs) I know of a great man, a very Christian man in the New Testament, uh, though not recognized as such by his contemporaries. This man was despised by many religious people, and then he was forsaken by them. His enemies hounded him from city to city all over Asia, all over Europe. They came to Damascus to kill him, but he got to Lystra, and there they caught him, and they beat him, and they left him for dead outside of the city. He went on into Europe and Macedonia. He lived. He was jailed, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked. Finally, he was put into a dungeon in Rome as a common criminal. Later, he was taken outside the city walls and executed. No one in the Christian faith would doubt today that Paul was a great man. He helped to change the course of Christianity in a single generation. He broke it loose from just being a Jewish sect into a worldwide faith. He planted churches in most of the major cities of the Roman Empire. He wrote a major portion of the New Testament. Today, the Apostle Paul inspires us, and he empowers us with scriptures Like these, Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. We all need that verse. He wrote Romans 8.28, which says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. And in Romans 10.13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, those are three verses that each one of us need in our life, not only for us, but to share with others that we care a great deal about. Over 2,000 years later, Paul is still a great, great man. There are keys to greatness in our scripture today. Did you catch them? Keys 
to greatness. In Romans 1.14 is the first key. Paul says he is a debtor. Paul said, I owe everybody. I owe the Greeks, the barbarians, the wise, the unwise. I am a debtor, he says in verse 14. There's only two attitudes one might have in this respect. You are either thinking you are a creditor or a debtor. The person who has the creditor attitude says the world owes me. That's the attitude. The world owes me. You know, I'm behind and the world owes me. Well, during the New York City blackout a number of years ago, you remember what happened? Thousands and thousands of people uh, were people that had said, the world owes me. The world owes me something, and I'm going to get it. And those folks went out and stole everything they could get their hands on on that particular night. A lot of people in our society have the attitude, the world owes me. I'm going to get what I can. Paul said just the opposite of that. Paul said, the world owes me nothing. He owns the world. He, he loves the world. He gave us the world. Paul uh, was a debtor. We all have had a, a drink today from a well that we did not dig. We've all reaped a harvest that we have not sown. We've all learned a lesson that we did not teach. My friend, we are debtors. One of the keys of greatness is to have a sense of obligation, a sense of responsibility. We really need to have that in our heart. Where we help people, we see people that need help, all of those Uh, groups and ministries that I mentioned earlier, we need those because they are reaching out to folks that haven't done anything for them but that they wanted to serve and to help. And that ought to be in our hearts today as we seek to strive to help those that really need it. You know, sometimes your neighbor comes out and says, morning, morning. And they go back in, and maybe a month later you see them out uh, getting the garbage can or something, and they say, hello, how are you? And you say hello. But what you don't know is that they're going through a traumatic, terrible, terrible time in their life. One of the things that we need to do is to see not only our neighborhood, but our city as, as a place of ministry. People that are really in great need. Cindy and I have been trying to reach a a neighbor. And we haven't gotten very far. I'll be frank with you. But uh, we got them to church once. And uh, they said they enjoyed it. Uh, We're still working on them. You know, do you have somebody... Do you have somebody that you're working on, somebody that you really want to reach for the Lord Jesus? The ones that have been reached by the Lord Jesus have made a public profession of their faith in Christ. 
They've done that. They're not ashamed of the gospel. The second key that I want to mention today is in verse 15. Would you look at that with me? Uh, Paul says, I am ready. Paul was ready to go to Rome or anywhere else that God wanted him to go. He was ready to work. He was ready to preach. He was ready to witness. Paul said, I am ready for whatever. I'm ready. Some people are always indecisive. They are always disorganized. They are always procrastinating. Putting the blame on somebody else. You know, that gets old after a while. You know, folks uh, that are always blaming somebody else for everything, they don't have a large circle of friends. And I always wonder, do they realize how many times they're saying, well, this is somebody else's fault? After you say that 400 times, people begin to wonder about you. Because they're not all due to somebody else. Some of those things are due to you. And we need to face that and deal with that and stand up and take a stand and and be ready to do what the Lord wants us to do. Not to be disorganized, not to be indecisive, not to be procrastinating, but to be ready. That's what verse 15 is saying. Some people say, you know, uh, I'm going to do that tomorrow. I'm going to do that next week. I have an open place in my calendar Next month, I'm going to do that. Paul says in this verse, today, today, God opens doors when? Today. There are a lot of doors that are open every day that we perhaps don't notice, but they're open. The opportunity to say a word for Christ, the opportunity to give an illustration about the kingdom of God and what it can mean in their life. If we're going to do something great for God, let's do it today. Why not today? The third key to greatness is not being ashamed. That's in verse 16 of our text. I pastored uh, a church uh, just north of here for a long time, for 21 years, and I was there when a lot of the babies were born and I was with them when they grew up, when they were in the cradle roll and in the children's division and the young people's division. I watched them literally grow up. And sometimes when I would be at a shopping center or at a restaurant or at a grocery store and they would be with a lot of their friends and they would see me, they would kind of look down. They didn't want to introduce me to their friends. And, of course, I knew that, and so I never put any of them on uh, display, so to speak. I tried not to ever embarrass any of them. But the message is we don't want to be ashamed of Jesus. We don't want to be ashamed of the gospel. We don't want to be ashamed of what we're trying to do for the Lord. Paul says, I am not ashamed. Paul said, the gospel of Christ is the power of God. And we need that power. 
We need a lot of power in our lives. If we are ever going to do great things in our lives for the Lord, we have got to have the Lord's power. You know, I think it's quite apropos for you to pray for power. There's nothing selfish about that or self-centered about that because you want to use that power to reach other people. You want to use that power to strengthen you so that you can be a constant witness, a constant disciple in the marketplace of today's world for our Lord and our Savior. The gospel has changed billions of lives, not millions, billions of lives for good. Now, you don't want to be ashamed of that for crying out loud. You know, we want to be proud of that. I love it when uh, I can say there's a, a great movement of God happening here. There's a great movement of God happening there. There's a great thing happening up in Sunday school class X, Y, and Z. There is a great uh, revival going on in a neighborhood uh, here in our area that is being led by some of the members of our church. We don't want to be ashamed of that. We don't want to hold that in. We want to spread that around. We want to share that message. We want to to give out the good word. Not blame somebody else, but give out the good word. The good news of Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is. Good news. Good news for every man, every boy, every woman, every girl. In the world. That's what it is. We need to live that out through the local church. We need to live that out in every organization that we're a part of. When uh, I pass uh, some of our folks that are playing bridge uh, over at Sandpiper, and they're playing with a bunch of people I don't know, Almost every time, one of the ladies will say, uh, come over here, Brother Ron, and they will introduce me to all the people at their table. I love that. I want to meet the people at their table because perhaps some of the people at their table have never had the insight or, or the will to really draw their lives closer to Christ, and they just haven't done it. And the more times we can intersect their lives and be with them and be praying for them and lifting them up, the better it will be. I don't know how many of you ever watched an old uh, TV show now called Cheers. Uh, It had some stuff in it that wasn't good. You know that. Uh, But it had some things in it that were really funny that I enjoyed. And the thing I enjoyed the most about that program Uh, was the song they sang as the show started each week. You remember the song? It was was a a neat little song. Uh, it, It was a song that they played every week, the whole time that show was on. The words went like this. You want to go where everyone knows your name. You want to go where everyone's glad you came. I like that. You know, I want people to say that about our church. About our church. We're we're glad you came. We know your name. 
We're glad. We're glad you came. Well, the local church ought to have that kind of of reputation. We know your name. We're glad you came. A place where the Bible is studied, the gospel is preached, and the Spirit of God abides. The local church is a place where we can teach others about greatness. This morning we want to have a time of invitation as we do each week. It's a time for you to decide to come and take a stand for Christ, not to be ashamed of Christ. That's what it is. We want you to take a stand for him. He died for you on Calvary's cross. He died that you would have the insight to know and understand and fully, fully comprehend what he wants for you. He wants for you good. He wants for you prosperity. He wants for you health and happiness. And we want to respond to his love. If you're here and you've never trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never joined his church, been a part of his family, I pray that you do that today. I'm going to stand down here at the front. We're going to sing a hymn. If the Lord is leading you at all, just slip out and slip forward and say, I want to take my stand for him who died for me. Let's stand as we sing together. Mm-hmm.